0: Project Lawful, aka Plane Crash, by Arwain, aka Eliezer Yudkowski, and Lintamande. Thread 1 Mad Investor Chaos and the Woman of Asmodeus. Episode 26.
1: I'll get you a secure notebook. Bide. He opens the door of his office and takes a few rapid strides until he finds someone who can be ordered to get an unbound secure notebook from the military inventory.
2: Carissa is trying to commit all that to memory, so she can think about it in more detail later. Most people don't want to burn in the purifying flames of hell. What does that mean? They would prefer it if they didn't, in fact, need much purifying? Sure, Carissa would prefer that, too. That'd be awfully convenient— though she'd trade more purifying for coming out better on the other end. Would most people not take that trade? Are most clerics of Asmodeus not able to notice that it is good to suffer if you come out of the suffering improved? But it's very obvious. She thinks she could even phrase it so Keltham agreed, We are all slaves of this world the way Farasma made it, seems true. Presumably not heretical, to think of Pharasma as having made it, but also, we would make it ourselves. But would we? Maybe we would make Dath-Ailan instead?
1: Ferrer Mayol waits on the notebook. It takes longer than it would have before with the forbidden Up. Apparently, some fool failed to immediately issue Sevar with a secure notebook after she was made privy to secrets. After this, he should probably check in on the military side and see what kind of mess they've made of Sevar's status inside the system.
2: We live inside an absolute and unescapable greater tyranny. Seems true. Some of us can be more than grist for it. Seems true. Most people who are devout servants of Asmodeus are not grateful to belong to Asmodeus, but they are. But they are like Asmodeus. That's a frame that fits. Asmodeus wants people who are like him and people who'd build hell, rather than Dath Island, are more like and Carissa is going to have to, well, either she's going to have to shape up at that, or she's going to have to demonstrate that a lawful evil Dath-Elan is just better.
1: Ferrer returns and hands Carissa her new secure notebook, along with a pamphlet on the regulations for secure notebooks, which he forgot to ask for, and which some abnormally competent officer had delivered to him anyways. Do you require further theological instruction? Have you resolved whatever issue with Keltham first brought you here? You have not asked much explicitly about that, whatever it was, a matter lying entirely within your own discretion, but I am checking that it is your discretion.
2: No, I do want help on that too. Keltham noticed that no one in Cheliax indicates how they feel during classes by looking distressed, and inferred from this that no one would indicate how they felt during sex by looking distressed, and that bothered him on some kind of principle that, so I think it did not in fact occur to him that one could simply not really care if people are secretly distressed. He instead concluded that we've got some extremely clever way to notice secret distress despite everyone hiding it, and was worried that not knowing this himself he'd fail to notice I was distressed— If I was, and I swear I didn't give him any reason to think I would be, he's just like this. And the problem with trying to lie to him is that which facts about the world are inferable from which other ones is completely sideways for him. I'm genuinely worried that if I'd just said, Oh, normally people are really good at reading lip twitches, but I'll just tell you, then something else would have gone horribly wrong because he made a bunch of inferences from our presumed use of lip twitches. He was really confused about the fact people don't look distressed at each other on purpose. He felt like it was broken, a norm that shouldn't be able to persist in existing. And I have no idea what I'm allowed to tell him about anything, and I'd rather as much as possible tell him the truth because of the sideways inferences problem, but I haven't gotten any guidance on which things, specifically, I should lie about besides hell." And I'm separately worried that if I just sleep with him, which I'd really, really like to, and then later explain the thing where some people solve the inference problem by simply not caring how the other party is doing, then he'll be. He won't endorse having slept with me without knowing that. That's the thing I was stuck on. What to tell him that only relies on facts about human nature that are true in other countries, too and not on anything about Sheliax.
1: Ferrer Maelol may need to go get his own notebook for this one. He taps his fingers again to show that he's thinking. I'm afraid, Ferrer Mailol says, not bothering to keep the dryness out of his voice, that after hearing your analysis of Keltham, I have some absolutely terrible news for you about my opinion of your competence to handle this issue.
2: I know I've been over my head, If you think you have someone who can impersonate me and do better, I'll obviously assist them however I can. Or get me a headband, which is what I asked for in the first place.
1: Oh, it's much worse than that, Sivar. My opinion is that even after reading the transcripts of everything Keltem said in his lessons, I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. If you understand what the fuck you just said to me, then you are, in fact the most qualified person inside this villa, to make the call as to what to tell Keltum and when. Unless there's some better analysis from the security officers who've been monitoring him, but maybe not paying quite as much attention to learning from the man. Which means that we are going to go off right now and have that conversation with the security officers. The one where you get authorized to make that call. If you fuck up, it'll be your head on the chopping block. Followed immediately after by mine for choosing you. And since I do value my head, I'll get you your fucking intelligence headband.
2: Oh, great.
1: If there's an Asmodian subdomain for obsession with intelligence headband obtainment verging on suicidal lemminghood, Savar is truly his prophet already. Ferrer Mylol keeps this observation to himself. He stands up. Follow me, Savar and we'll have that conversation. Asmodeus, help us all.
2: All Carissa's slaves are going to get intelligence headbands. It will make them more useful. She follows.
0: Security for an operation like this is typically within an extra-dimensional space, so they can't be affected by spells targeting the installation. The forbiddens makes that impossible, so they're doing their best with having draped a parlor in lead, which blocks most spells, and having a miserable captive air elemental providing ventilation. There's one bed, since even though there's ten of them, they only need two-hour sleep shifts. Rhodes Balaguer is on duty handling emergency requests right now. He looks tired.
1: Verer Maillol doesn't even slightly care. Call in whichever wizard or wizards would be most likely able to handle a question about Keltham's psychology and our strategy for what to reveal to him when. The fact that Maillol doesn't already know who that is. That there isn't someone already known to be in charge of decisions like that, with individual judgments instead being rendered by individual security officers, is a very bad sign now that Milo thinks on it explicitly. That needs to end now, one way or another.
0: That's Elias Abarco, who shows up a couple of minutes later. He looks tired, too.
1: Ferrer Milo doesn't care about that either since Elias Abarco hasn't yet been added to the worryingly rapidly expanding list of people that he's no longer allowed to set on fire. Abarco. There's a judgment call about what to reveal to Keltham and which lies to tell him Savar. Ask Abarco what you asked me.
2: Deep breath. She's going to try to explain it better this time, in case maybe Melal would understand it if she explained better. Keltham noticed that no one indicates how they feel during classes by looking distressed when they don't understand what's going on. That is not what happens in Doth Elan. He inferred from this that no one would indicate how they felt during sex by looking distressed if they did not like what was being done to them. He automatically assumed that we wouldn't want that, and concluded instead that we must have some more complicated way of communicating that information— I was uncertain whether to make one up or to try to explain to him that normally people just don't worry very much if their sex partners are invisibly distressed. The problem with trying to lie to him is that which facts about the world are inferable from which other ones is completely sideways for him and I don't think I could accurately track all the inferences he'd make from something I made up. I'd rather as much as possible tell him the truth because of the sideways inferences problem, but I need guidance on which things it's most important to keep secret even at some cost in our overall plausibility and coherence as he experiences it. And I need to solve this right away, because I think if I just sleep with him and then later explain the thing where some people solve the inference problem by simply not caring how the other party is doing— he won't endorse having slept with me without knowing that.
0: The problem, Abarco says to Mayall, is that Keltham is insane, and predicting how he'll take anything is, as she points out, next to impossible. The library's not filtered for pretending rape doesn't exist.
2: I've told him that rape exists. He knows that. He just thinks that since I have assented to be there in the first place, we're executing a procedure where I should also be having a nice time the whole time, and it'd be a problem if he failed to notice a chelish signal that I wasn't.
0: She's describing him mostly accurately as far as I can tell, Abarco says.
1: Malol raises his eyebrows, not approvingly. Hell doesn't refer to someone as a teacher if they're just insane. Do you have an analysis for me, Abarco? Do you have a strategy for handling this?
0: I think there's no point in trying to conceal anything on this plane except the internal workings of the church and government from Keltham. He'll expect those to be concealed. Dathilan keeps its secrets. I think we don't have the resources to convince him that Chelyax is the kind of place in which he won't encounter adversarial conduct. We just don't know how to pretend at that, and it's already too late, so we mostly just want him thinking that this place needs lots of fixing up, which he currently believes. Savar can explain how sex works to him, though she should mind her tendency towards female victimization-flavored heresies.
2: Hey. No, no, he's right. She should mind that.
1: Elias Abarco has brought up additional points that Savar didn't bring up, which complicates this already painful decision. And Abarco didn't bring up the critical point about only telling Keltham the sad little facts that are true in other countries not just in Cheliax, which means he wouldn't have done well, leaving the whole decision to a barco. Ferrer Mayol would, if he were alone, massage his forehead. The Asmodean style of tyranny is not about spreading around responsibility, so nobody seems to be at fault for making bad decisions. Those are weak tyrannies. There must be a single decision-maker on point, as is both efficient and Asmodean that designated person must be Abarco, Sivar, or Mailol himself. And any of those three people screwing up gets Mailol equally blamed for it, which leaves the pure and simple question of which of the three is least likely to fuck up. Mailol is pretty sure that's not himself, which brings it down to two. In the end, what decides him is simply that Abarco called Keltham insane. It's not a judgment conducive to making the kind of detailed predictions necessary for the actual moment to moment decisions. As Modius help you and me, Sivar, I'm making it your call. Your goal directives are as follows prioritize the amount of time we get before this falls down and Keltum breaks with us. Secondary priority, if possible. Try to make Keltham think that he should take you or some other loyal woman with him if he leaves us. Do not bother worrying about Keltum's opinion of Cheliacs after the whole thing blows up. He won't be happy ship sailed just make sure we get as much as we can from him before then a barco advise sevar well on this and all related matters and report to me if you think she's fucking it up if this project fails early and it looks like it was even slightly your fault for sabotaging her i will make damn sure you die before i do balagueri Savar gets transcripts of Keltham's words and his thoughts on remaining occasions where we make the call to risk reading his thoughts. Savar gets consulted on Keltham analysis and policy if there's time. Savar takes initiative on answering him if she's inside the room. Savar gets reports on any other decisions that get made without her about what to tell him and why, and gives Savar her fucking intelligence headband if we have a spare on hand. If we don't give her a fox's cunning so she has something to work with for a few minutes while trying to make the call on Kelton, then message at the next regular report that I want an intelligence headband delivered soonest, and if it's not here inside 24 hours then I will go looking for it, and nobody wants to be there when I come looking. Mylol wishes he could just grab an intelligence headband from any of these fucking wizards who'll make less important use of it, But that is escalating way beyond just setting somebody on fire for a few hours. Or at least wizards act that way.
2: This is an important responsibility, and she should not look all smug about it. Or maybe she should, because that's exercising the vice of pride, which she is naturally inclined towards. She should look mildly smug about it.
0: There is not a spare headband on sight. There has been something of a run on Cheliax's spare headband supply, what with the dozen emergencies so far today. It shouldn't be a problem to get one in six hours. A transcript of Keltham's words so far is available for her to review now.
1: Get her a ring of sustenance as well, Mylol orders. It'll take a week before they can get any extra hours of work out of Sevar that way. And Asmodeus knows if this project will still exist or if the combined weight of divine interventions on it will have collapsed Golarion. But if the project does still exist, he expects Savar will have quite the lovely backlog of tasks by then. Stores if we have one, otherwise add it to the requisition.
0: We have those. He hands one over.
2: Keltham also wants a headband, and ones for his other girls, and ones with Owl's wisdom as well. I don't think I'll be able to keep up with him if he's got a headband as good as mine. "'He's not smarter, but he's got more of a force multiplier. "'They could give her intrinsic intelligence boosts with Wish "'and then the headband on top of that, "'but she is pretty sure at some point "'if she keeps pushing for intelligence enhancement, "'she's going to reach the edge of their deeply bizarre commitment "'to not lighting her on fire. "'I think I could tell him that they've been commissioned "'and will arrive in a week or two, "'and that we can have one to pass around in the meantime,' If we can, in fact, have one to pass around in the meantime.
1: Mayol isn't even slightly fooled by her hidden agenda. But it's not a hidden agenda which is detrimental to him, so it's not like he disapproves. Savor. I don't care what Keltham wants. I care how much we get out of him. You don't just tell me what he asked for anymore. You tell me what happens if I say yes. What's your estimated effect on him if we supply him with one lesser intelligence headband and one lesser wisdom headband to pass around. And if you think that's a good idea or bad idea for other reasons, don't make me ask you for your opinion. You're in the command structure now. Grow up. Grow up very quickly.
2: I think supplying him with a headband probably means he sees through us faster, but not supplying him with a headband looks increasingly suspicious or incompetent. I expect the lectures will be higher quality if he has enhancement, and more useful to the students if they do, until it falls apart, which will probably be sooner. Though his God can give him wisdom himself, so we can't make plans that rely on his not having it, and the costs of him having more of it are probably small, a fourth-circle cleric could have an hour a day anyway if his God decides to indicate he ought to spend the day reflecting by giving him nothing but, actually, what do we know about what? It's Abadar, right? Once here.
1: We know almost nothing specifically. As a matter of general theology, Abadar probably approves of the project even more than Asmodeus does, and wants Keltham's knowledge to spread beyond Cheliax eventually, but doesn't feel strongly about whether Cheliax pulls ahead of Osirian for a while. His not giving Keltham any particular visions seems suggestive of a bargain with our lord, possibly and if so, Abadar won't try to wriggle around inside whatever bargain he struck with Asmodeus until Asmodeus wriggles first, which our own lord will probably do eventually. Some of the spells we already know Keltham got from his open prayer are suggestive of Abadar not approving of the deception we're running on him, which is also theologically to be expected, a fact you may not know, Sever, earlier thought reading on Keltham showed him to be suspicious of externally supplied mind-affecting spells. It will be in your transcripts. Maybe we can play to that, find Keltham a book on the subject which mentions cursed forms of the item, or which claims that there's a higher-tier version of Fox's cunning that you can use to make the recipient think they're smarter about particular subjects while actually not doing that. We've got a wondrous items enchanter working on a rush project to create tools so we can do edits to books more easily, and meanwhile we can get a forger printer to stamp out individual alternate pages to splice in. Our wonderful new pet Nethys worshipper does give us a way to send Keltham exactly the books we want him to have, and it explains why we're not just shipping him a dozen different ones. If that ploy fails, or if you think it's a bad idea to try, and Keltham does start wanting to wear his own headband, getting you a higher-tier intelligence headband is not something I can do in a day, Sivar. But your request, and the reason for it, has been noted. By tomorrow you'll also need to devise an explanation to Keltham for why you got your own private headband weeks ahead of the other women, if you want to wear it around him. If it's not a good enough explanation... You'll need to take it off around him. Do not give me any wizard shit about that. Mylol has very little sympathy for why wizards are under the impression that matters of intelligence headbands are an exception to the usual rules about shutting up and obeying orders. And Sivar is not high circle enough for him to put up with it from her.
2: I have eight years on them and have gotten generous hazard pay that whole time for my service to Cheliacs at the Worldwound. My salary from just the first two days was enough for the rest of the way to a headband, which I've been saving up for anyway. They're not going to be able to afford it for a while, because this is their first job ever, and they're being very generously paid, but not a headband every two days,
1: generously paid. Keeping in mind that a wrong answer to this question will get both of us killed, does Keltham believe that?
2: Carissa is unsure why he keeps reminding her of that. She has never forgotten it even for half a second. If he has an objection, it'll be a Kelthamish. It'll be that they ought to be really good candidates for a loan if they've got a guaranteed high salary for the next month or something like that. But the loan process is probably complicated when the job is completely secret and also you can't honestly say you expect to have it in a month and also you can't go to the bank to do it. And also, he expects us to be incompetent at things. If I say that loans on future income aren't really a thing, he will just make his general face about Galarian. Look, I am not willing to die so I can wear an intelligence headband more. If I thought it would help for me to take it off around him, I'd take it off around him. But it's around him that I keep being not quick enough and smart enough to manage things— I can't reason it out cleverly in advance and then just execute while slightly stupider because I don't get him well enough to predict his exact reactions yet. If when I put the headband on, I actually suddenly can predict him in advance, then I'll take it off around him, but a barco can't predict him in advance, and he's got a plus four.
1: He casts an orison that lashes her in the face, hard enough to do an exactly trivial amount of damage to a third circle wizard. Hell wouldn't have instructed them to punish Sevar no less than she earned if she was never going to earn any punishments. Keep me informed of your judgments. Don't argue them at me. You're very obviously driven to get an intelligence headband and wear it, Savar. There's justifications for that, good enough to get me to go along with it. It's also a very standard form of wizard bullshit, and the way that you will argue with your superiors about this one topic makes it clear that you are a very standard wizard in this regard. We're done here. Savar. With me, Balagere. Make sure someone's around who can cast Fox's cunning on her when she requests it.
2: If it's only wizards that think it's important to be smarter, then maybe that's what's wrong with the Church of Asmodius in Galarian. Keepers would want to be smarter, she bets. They'd be careful about it, but they'd want it. She keeps this to herself.
1: Ma'ilol is heading back to his office once they're out of range of the security office, if not of security. He speaks again. "'Word of warning, Sevar. Keltem is right that our usual schools teach people what to think, not how to think, and I should hardly need to say that the reason is that if they did their own thinking they'd fuck it up. Unless your vision succeeds far beyond what any reasonable person would expect.' A chelish academy based on Keltum style teaching is going to have two kinds of people in it, priests of Asmodius and citizens valuable enough that they qualify for our very limited soul-sale slots. If I'd realized that faster, we could have brought in older women who'd already sold their souls and not used up a hell of a lot of our project's slack on having a bunch of baby wizards do it. But what's done is done." I may be reading too much into hell's instructions. We get told not to put too much weight on exact wordings that pass through three increasingly less intelligent devils on their way from Asmodeus to us, but it seems to me that Asmodeus gave you four instructions in order, and they may have been an order of priority. Serve him well in this world. Don't fall to heresy. Figure out the differences between yourself and an axiomite and become the kind of soul as Medeus wishes mortals were and join his most treasured possessions. If all we learn from Celtum is tricks for smelting vast quantities of high-quality metal, it will not in fact make this project a failure in the eyes of church and queen, even if that falls short of your own ambitions for it.
2: Understood. But what if you could teach them a better what-to-think— one that held together against more of their own impulses. But he's right, that no one else can reasonably bet on that just off Carissa wanting it and Asmodeus thinking Carissa worth steering.
1: You're not accustomed to being in the inner circle where you are expected to do your own thinking and put your life on the line for getting it right. Usually people get brought into it less abruptly than you. "'and it's possible I'm going to get called up "'on having trusted you more than you earned, "'contrary to Hell's instructions. "'My belief is that you earned it "'by understanding Keltham better than a Barco does, "'but you also haven't held that much responsibility before, "'and my decision to dump it on you "'is going to look lethally questionable "'if you fuck it up. "'I cannot guarantee that I wasn't influenced "'by knowing or thinking I knew "'that you were a competent enough person To come to the momentary attention of a god. Asmodeus, help us all if he was trying to tell us exactly not to do what I just did by trusting you more than you'd earned. But we also got told to trust you no less than you'd earned. So, uh, that's all to frame an important point, Savar, which is that the theological discussions that Asmodean priests hold among themselves are different from the way you learned theology out in the cold. We do not sound like fucking Keltham because we are not fucking outsiders. But if a new priest has an affinity for slavery and a fifth circle priest specializes in tyranny, the fifth circle priest doesn't tell her to shut up and write down the standard answers he gives her about slavery. From the standpoint of tyranny, feeling gratitude for Asmodeus owning us is how we tell the common people to feel about it because it's a simple fucking answer that won't get them in trouble. Occasionally, though, Asmodeus goes and makes a bed-slave his cleric, which shows that his true priorities do not always match those that we harried and overworked mortals try to set. We almost always decide to wait on perfecting souls into the exact shape Asmodius prefers until they get safely to hell. Asmodius cares in ways we don't even try to care because it's not productive when we try to do it. If that bed-slave feeling, some exact form of gratitude for being a slave, was a vital part of what our Lord wishes mortals were like, you may need to wait for a priest to understand slavery more deeply than I do, to tell you that, because instructing me in those details wasn't the Church's own priority for a world-wound administrator. You have tyranny questions, I can answer those in endless detail, and you'd be stupid to argue— until you understand Asmodianism a lot better. But I will be checking some of the answers I gave you about slavery and pride the next time I run into a superior of mine who has a moment. That's as much priority as I'd give to a fourth-circle priest asking me those questions. If the fourth-circle priest didn't tell me they were more urgent, final warning, don't get lost in all these fascinating questions you're supposed to think about for the first time. Modius instructed you to serve him well in this world first. Are we done, Savar? I'll still be here if you have more questions another day, and you said Keltham was waiting on you. Mylol thinks and hopes this is exactly as much slack for interrupting him as he'd cut a Fourth Circle cleric on urgent project business who was interrupting him for the first time.
2: She does not exactly feel readier to answer Keltham. We're done.
1: We'll go with Hell's unusually personal blessing, Savar. He taps her with the guidance orison for the little bit that's worth. Was
2: someone going to get me a fox's cunning? And then someone does, by jabbing her in the shoulder. After this, she's going to need to work on having a better working relationship with a barco. Fox's cunning feels good. It feels right. And she's been told to correct for that. She's been told it's a flaw common to wizards, and she's not willing to trade her life for more of it, so she's going to do what she was told and not reach for it more than she already has. She closes her eyes and tries to drive out everything except the questions she has to answer tonight. First, serve Asmodeus in this world. Get close to Keltum, close enough that when he gets sick of Cheliac's, he takes you with him. Hold things together for long enough to learn new things about metalworking, new things about everything else that makes Dathilun prosperous. But keep in mind that the thinking is not the priority for the Chellish government or the church. They might be making a mistake, and Carissa might be poised to correct them, but they probably aren't making a mistake, and they won't believe her now. She has the option of telling Keltham that. Not tonight, but it's a thought to tuck away for later. It's not damning that the chelish government trusts the metalworking to lead somewhere useful more than the habits of mind. Keltham's sideways habits of inference are not, in fact, sideways. They're going to be a perfectly natural outgrowth of the things he's taught them in class. Right now, you don't know what he'll infer from a given bit of information might be the best unenhanced Carissa can do, but she needs that to stop being true as quickly as possible. Replaced with the exact habits of inference herself, and it might not even be the best unenhanced Carissa can do. It's certainly not the best she can do now. In fact, her mind is now rather spamming possibilities. Keltham thinks in some theory of human psychology that extends from education to sex. It has gears even if she doesn't know them. He doesn't think sideways, he thinks in theories that make things be connected. He arrived in Golarion and noticed that it wasn't all women and went up to the theory about sex balances and where they came from and down again to know that mortals weren't made by gods. He noticed that people were wearing fixed cheerful expressions in class and went up to some theory about people and down again to how those kinds of people might be having sex. Carissa deeply wants to know this theory. Carissa manages to wrench her attention away from how much she wants to know this theory. Keltham wouldn't be stuck thinking about that if he didn't want to be. She's seen inside his mind. Keltham thinks in equilibriums. He notices when a strategy seems possible to deviate profitably from without being punished. Keltham is from a societal context where competence at deception is not itself a valuable thing to signal, because deception is basically frowned upon in every context— Last one feels most immediately fruitful, though it's easier than it was a moment ago to hold the other ones apart and not subtly downgrade them in her mind because she's started following the third. Keltham didn't parse them as signaling competence at deception because you signal things you want people to know about, and even if you want to be deceptive, you wouldn't want people to know you want to be deceptive. Whereas in Cheliax... Wait, check... Is this only true in Cheliax? Because if not, she'd better not say it. She should have a specific other country in mind when she tells Keltham how Cheliax works. Now that she thinks of it, it seems very obvious. Keltham will be incredulous and disbelieving even about things she knows to be functional equilibriums. But that doesn't mean that every lie she can think of telling is equally credible as a functioning equilibrium. Societies are complicated, and she can't invent Cheliax but L.N. But she can tell Keltham how some place he wouldn't flee from works. Taldor is the obvious one. She doesn't know all that much about Taldor, but she's met people from there, and it's culturally descended from Cheliax, unlike Osirion, or some place where she can't represent how the people there would explain themselves. The main thing everyone knows about Taldor is that it has a weak crown— and too many dukes and counts who think too highly of themselves. And it's been racked with civil war periodically for a long time, not falling only because the crown is old and rich and can hold Opara where their power is invested no matter the madness that goes on beyond its walls. Quick check. Has she claimed anything about Chelyaks actively contradicted by that? She doesn't think so. Has anyone else? she can delegate that. She has authority here. I need someone to check whether anyone has said anything to Keltham that would be inconsistent with Cheliax being approximately Taldor in political organization and culture until the church backed the right side in the most recent civil war and Hell sent some people to try to shape the crown up. And now she's followed that train of thought far enough and needs to pull back and contemplate an entirely different one, She can see, from here, how she's been neglecting that before, going with her intuition until it is actually surprised or contradicted somewhere. Keltham has a general theory of human nature that is surprised by Galarian, not just by Sheliax, so he's missing something, and it'd be useful to figure out what, both because she might want to tell him and because it'll help with verisimilitude. He's missing, and her mind is spamming possibilities again, not that she's confident in any of them, that people signal negative qualities, that people prefer for other people to lose, that people have values actively incompatible with other people getting what they want, that people are bad enough at thinking that trying to make them think about something is dangerous. Many of these are too specifically chellish. This would be much simpler if she could make Keltem tell her all the theories he uses to understand people. Maybe she can sell her superior, or just the one superior now, on the theory that if they ask Keltham to explain those parts, Keltham will be easier to fool. Set that aside, too, flagged as maybe possibly coming from the part of her that is tempted to trade off lifespan against intelligence headbands. Keltham has learned more from them than they've learned from him. He is surprised by Galarian. He is missing something. He underadjusts or overadjusts or adjusts along completely wrong dimensions but he's notably much less wrong than he was a day ago already they will not be able to hide things in the vast fog of his confusion for very long because he is narrowing it they should tell him less if they possibly can they should say it's not the priority that gets their project more support and headbands delivered earlier they should say they don't know. They should find legitimately very important questions they can ask Keltham instead of spending lots of time explaining things to him. She should find something simple to say to him about sex. That's true everywhere in Galarian, and only later, if ever, ask him to explain theories. It's not a pleasant thought, not the answer that she wanted inside at all and Carissa might not have managed to think it before she saw inside Keltham's head. Fox's cunning wears off and leaves her, tired and in a bad mood. And now she still doesn't feel any closer to figuring out what to say to Keltham, but she remembers the direction she'd found when she was smarter, and she knows perfectly well how being smarter works, that it's a glimpse of a person you want to grow up to be, even if you have to be dragged kicking and screaming, because it's not always pleasant for the tiny, stupid things that humans are to grow into, bigger, smarter things. Is he still on the roof?
0: Yes, Elias says irritably.
2: She hurries.
0: If you wish to support the production of this AI-voiced reading of Plane Crash, please visit Patreon.com/AskWhoCastsAI. Any help is appreciated.